While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left, and around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From an that pretty gal to Georgia. The headline reads, Old Jay Barleycorn at last outlawed by United States. It's the Atlanta Constitution for January 17th, 1920, and it goes on to say that at 12.01 a.m., the nation had gone dry. With the passage of the 18th Amendment, manufacturer sales of alcoholic drinks were now illegal. Places which continued to sell alcohol could be found and shut down. Alcohol was now only permitted for religious, scientific, or medicinal purposes, and what was widely considered the primary cause for society's ills was now finally eliminated. People could calm down and look forward to a bright future, free of violence, disorder, and crime. This isn't the first time that alcohol had been considered a thing of the past, especially in Georgia. At its founding, the preferred drink was rum, distilled in South Carolina from sugar obtained from the Caribbean. James Oglethorpe was the first trustee, and possibly the only trustee, to address the issue of alcohol in the new colony, claiming that rum consumption was hindering the colony's development. His proposed ban on rum was accepted in 1735. The resolution specifically states that Native American leaders had complained that liquor was causing harm to their societies as well. Colonists could still get milder drinks like beer or wine from a licensed tavern, but rum and brandy were off the menu. In 1741, the colonists wrote a pamphlet entitled A True and Historical Narrative of the Colony of Georgia, which at the time was considered funny and sarcastic. Not all the jokes are really evident in the flowery 18th century English. In that work, the colonists listed their reason for resenting a ban on rum. First, as the colony established itself and agriculture was being developed, a prime source of trade was in timber. The colony had a brisk trade in timber with the British colonies of the Caribbean, who normally paid in their own produce, which was rum. The second claim was that the water of Georgia needed to be qualified with alcohol, either for taste or sanitation. The third argument was that people, especially common people, would buy rum simply because it was outlawed and buying it from out of state would drain the colony of ready money. The premise that a ban on rum would disrupt trade for the colonists caused the trustees to revisit the issue and eventually begin the process of slowly permitting spirits back into the colony. None of this really mattered as the colonists basically ignored the regulation from the start and a formal repeal was never issued. 
Oglethorpe continued to complain when he spotted a Georgian drinking rum, but he was more or less the last person to care. We have discussed moonshiners in an earlier podcast. At the close of the American Revolution, George Washington's administration and the fledgling federal government was over $50 million in debt. The government, under the Articles of Confederation, didn't have the right to levy taxes, only to ask the states for money. With the new constitution, the first tax on a domestic product was the whiskey tax. Washington himself was assured that a sin tax would be well received by the people. Local politicians assured their constituents that their sober, moderate lifestyles wouldn't be seriously affected by the tax, while church leaders believed the money would come from backsliders rather than their upright, teetotaling parishioners. Resistance against the tax went from protest to armed insurrection, forcing Washington to order the federal army to suppress what would become known as the Whiskey Rebellion. Once the rebels were disarmed and returned to their homes, they still refused to pay the tax, causing them to change their business model to late nights and deep woods. A uniquely American dichotomy was formed, citizens blaming crime and strife on whiskey while still enjoying a drink themselves once in a while. After statehood came the temperance groups. The first Georgia State Temperance Society was founded in 1828. It broke up a few years later when its leaders tried to shift from an emphasis on moderation in drinking to complete teetotaling. Momentum for the temperance movement waned during the Civil War, but it reasserted itself soon after. Maine had passed statewide prohibition in 1847, but other states refused to follow. After the war, prohibitionists came to the realization that rural areas were likely to outlaw alcohol while cities were not. Their next move was passage of a local option liquor law in 1885. Georgia could now vote itself dry county by county and by 1896, 100 of its 137 counties did just that. In the cities, alcohol was regulated and restricted with high licensing fees and mandated closure on Sunday. This was a victory for the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League, maybe not the victory they wanted. The fight would continue. The Banks County Gazette for November 5, 1890 reports the hanging of Tom Woolfork. 
Wolfork had killed nine members of his Bibb County family with an axe. The Gazette's readers would have been quite familiar with the case, so it's not recounted in the article. The paper does say, The murder with which he was charged was the most brutal known to the records of this country, except that being committed by every barkeeper in the land who was dealing out poison for pay. The same paper rails against the little brown jug and the blind tiger, a term that would later be replaced with the word speakeasy. In 1899, the Gazette mentions that there were four saloons in Banks County and mourns that 60,000 poor helpless victims in the U.S. who with blasted hopes and crazed minds and damned spirits are swept into a drunkard's grave every rolling year. A letter to the newspaper in 1899 contains a commendation from the Methodist Church towards those citizens who voted by overwhelming majority to expel the barroom liquor traffic from Banks County. Rum had been driven from the countryside, but it still lingered in the cities. Newspapers, books, and speeches couldn't drive it out. Something had to happen to provide that push. And that happened in 1906. On Saturday, September 22, 1906, the front page of the Atlanta Georgian had three prominent stories of assaults on Atlanta society by African Americans. Among those on the front page, one detailed an attack on a white woman which consisted of a black man entering her yard. Sixty men were reported to be in pursuit. Another story told of a black man who faced a fine of $50 or 30 days in jail for allegedly kissing the hand of a white girl. There were no witnesses. The third, and this does use an outdated and inappropriate term, opens with The crusade against obscene pictures and Negro dives has begun. One saloon owner who had a picture of a white woman above his cash register was fined. That afternoon, a riot broke out. The descriptions in the Banks County Journal lean a little towards exaggeration when it says thousands of white men stoned and shot black men on the streets, dragging some from the trolley cars and beating them to death. Either way, when it was over, between 6 and 16 African Americans were dead. The journal specifically mentions that some men were holding newspapers aloft to show their outrage, and it was probably that very day's front page. Blame was immediately placed on the sensational media and liquor. The Methodist ministers of Atlanta published a list of causes for the riot and stated, we believe that nearly all acts of violence are caused by the sale and use of intoxicating drinks, and we call upon all our citizens for the suppression of the liquor traffic. The Fulton Grand Jury placed the blame for the riot right on the front page of Saturday's paper. That did it. In 1907, the Georgia Prohibition Act was passed, outlawing Spiritus, malt, or intoxicating liquors, which if drunk to excess will produce intoxication in the state of Georgia. 
Domestic wines sold in taverns were exempted, as was the medicinal, religious, or artistic use of alcohol. By 1915, eight more southern states would follow. Of course, there were those who refused to comply with the law. By 1907, there were several family businesses that had provided whiskey to their communities for generations, and for them, nothing really changed. But let's divert for a moment to the story of Isaac Oppenheim. Although he was born in Charleston and had served in the Confederate Army in South Carolina, by 1904 he owned four saloons in Atlanta and was distilling his own whiskey and rye. Although the Jewish population, of which he was a part, only made up about 2% of Atlanta's population, about 10% of the saloons on Decatur Street were owned by Jewish proprietors. When Prohibition was enacted, Oppenheim moved his operation to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and took mail-order deliveries for whiskey to be delivered on the jug train. The liquor, having been purchased out of state, was perfectly legal. For seven years, Oppenheim made daily shipments to Atlanta until Tennessee also went dry. Oppenheim then returned to Atlanta to sell tobacco for a time and later retired comfortably in New England. During World War I, the country as a whole prohibited beverages with an alcohol content higher than 1.28%. This was meant to conserve grain for the duration. That became national law after the armistice. In January of 1920, the 18th Amendment went into effect, outlawing the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors speakeasies, organized crime, the untouchables, all of that followed. In 1933, President Franklin Roosevelt signed the legislation permitting the sale of beer and wine with a low percentage of alcohol. In December of that year, the 21st Amendment took effect. The 18th Article of Amendment to the Constitution of the United States is hereby repealed. Two last points remain, and the first is, what amendments were passed between the 18th and the 21st? Well, women got the right to vote with number 19, and the 20th changed the days that a president and vice president's terms end. And the second is, right now in Georgia, 10 counties prohibit the retail sale of distilled spirits. Five prohibit the on-site consumption of alcohol, and some do both. White County prohibits the sale of distilled spirits for retail and on-site consumption, with one exception, and of course, that's the city of Helen. You know, so, go nuts. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.